Hello and welcome to Fundamentals, the podcast that explores pop culture one conversation at a time. I am your host, Harley. Joining me for this episode is the third and final member of the Sequelizers podcast to come on to this very podcast. It is, of course, Tim Matum. Tim was kind enough to come on the show and share his love for a beloved US drama series, one that has gained much critical acclaim as well as a beloved fan base across the world, and that is, of course, The West Wing. The West Wing aired in 1999 and ran all the way up to 2006 and showcased the lives of the people behind the scenes in the Oval Office. It's a show that was highly regarded amongst fans and critics alike, and according to Tim, this is all for good reason. I've never seen this show personally, but I've heard a lot about it, and I was really excited to sit down with Tim and talk all about the show and learn what it is exactly that makes it work. We get into some of the cast, the characters, the writing methods, the different tones that the show plays with, and how it intertwines with real-world events and politics. There is this and so much more to be enjoyed in this episode. So, without further ado, let's just get straight to it. This is The West Wing with Tim Matum. Hello, Tim, and welcome to the Fundamentals podcast. Hello. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, you're the, the long-awaited member of the sequelizers. The, I finally got you. <laughs> yes, yes. So much so that, that, that Matt has been on, cycled around and been on again in the meantime. <laughs> as has Jack, actually, by the time this oh, right. comes out as well. <laughs> but that's fine. That's fine. We can have you back anytime. But So you're here with uh, a TV show that I'm really excited to talk about because this is one I think most people would recognize. It's sort of quite famous. There's a lot of iconography and and stuff that I'm sure we'll get into that's kind of been parodied and bandied around. And that is mm-hmm. The West Wing. So I'd love to know, Tim, what was your introduction to this show and why did you choose to bring it to this podcast? Uh, so my introduction to the show was uh, very random. Uh, I was okay. I was aware of it uh, when it was kind of on TV. Uh, but I think for the longest time I wasn't even... I didn't even know where I could watch it, uh, especially mm. in the UK, as is sometimes the case with American television. Yeah. Uh, and I, uh, I had become aware of, of Aaron Sorkin as a writer uh, through his, his previous TV show called Sports Night, which was a kind of uh, a much shorter run. It only got two seasons uh, and it was very clumsily handled uh, by the network that it was on. Uh, but it ended yeah. up showing in the kind of early days of digital TV in the UK. Uh, it ended up showing on on a channel that we had then, um, and I kind of watched it and I I fell in love with his kind of dialogue and the way that he writes to a certain certain extent. Although I kind of looking back, I'm like I'm not sure I actually even knew he was like how how much I identified him as the writer and, and more just kind of was like oh this show there's something about this show and the way the dialogue kind of clicks back and forth and that I really enjoy. Mm. Um, but then kind of forgot about that, uh, to a certain extent, uh, and then randomly saw an episode of season four towards the end of season four of the West Wing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just happened to be, uh, this was when I was at university and I happened to be home at my parents' house, uh, on whatever night it was showing. Uh, and it kind of came on, I think it was on after the channel four news or something like that. And so 
the, the TV just kind of stayed on and, and it rolled around and I was like, oh, what's this? Oh, I've never, I've never got around to watching this. And I started watching it and I very quickly fell in love with it to the extent that I think I watched one more episode and then I went out and I bought a box set of seasons one to six, uh, wow. which was what was available at the time. Uh, right. Because season seven was still being broadcast in the US at that point, um, mm. and uh, yeah, I, I, it was one of those things where it was such an instant fit for me that I was just like, I, I've got to watch all of this, um, mm. and I happened to be, I think it was, I can't remember why I'd, I'd had like a little, I'd come into a small amount of money. I think it was like a tax rebate or something, and I was like, mm -hmm. perfect amount to go onto Amazon and buy uh, seasons one to six of the West Wing. <laughs> uh, and it was, it was at the end of uh, like the, the, the university year as well. So I just kind of right. uh, just marathoned through all of it uh, in the space mm. of far too, like far too embarrassing to say how quickly I watched all <laughs> of that television, uh, given that it's like, you know, a hundred and whatever hours. Uh, so so yeah, that was that was kind of my introduction. I went very quickly from not having seen it at all to being mm. pretty kind of devoted to it uh, to a certain extent. And I think obviously in the years that have passed, I've I've rewatched it. It's one of those shows that I can rewatch kind of infinitely. Yeah. Um, and I I definitely have more criticisms of it now. It's one of those mm -hmm. shows where I can kind of complain about it all day long um, and criticize oh, okay. it. Uh, but also, as soon as I start watching it, a lot of that stuff fades away, and I, you know, like right. I, I, I kind of picked out a random DVD to start watching last night. I was just like, oh, I was going to watch a certain one, and then I realised I'd, I'd left the DVDs elsewhere, and I was like, okay, well, I'll just grab a kind of random one. Yeah. Uh, and I started watching, and then it was three hours later, and I'd watched four episodes, and I could have <laughs> easily watched a few more uh, because it just, it's just that kind of. Uh, a comfort viewing for me, and a sure. just the quality of it so high that you just find yourself sucked in. Yeah, I I love that man. And to be honest with you, that doesn't feel too out of place given the sort of streaming age that we're in now, right? I feel like that's how most of us operate, where we stumble across something and we go, "Oh, I like this." Cut to one hundred hours later, in yeah, like you say, <laughs> a, a frighteningly short amount of time you know <laughs> like you haven't moved from your sofa you've just that's your entire 100 hours has been in a row basically so yeah it makes sense and it strikes me as that kind of show that it moves at quite a pace and it's quite intense and like i could see it sort of drawing somebody in so i want to know what was it in that first episode mm. then that just kind of cued you in and made you think yeah i really want to see more of this I think it was a it was a combination of like uh the rhythm of the dialogue and Sorkin has a very specific way of writing that is a kind of a heightened reality to a certain degree. Uh not many people okay. actually talk like an Aaron Sorkin character, uh but right. it is a very uh it's a very if it if it if your brain kind of works at that tempo, then it, it clicks very quickly. Um and I think just the uh, it it's a it was an interesting episode that I watched as the first one. It was essentially like a bottle episode where right. uh, there is a uh, someone shoots at the White House, um, mm. kind of 
almost randomly uh, when they're it's sort of late at night. Um, and there's a few things going on, but some of the staff are like relaxing and having a poker game. Um, and the, the it causes the West Wing to go into lockdown, as is the kind of reaction to these things. Um, yeah. And so it was a combination of uh, you get this kind of quite a lot of interpersonal drama connected to some very high stakes stuff where the president is dealing with a, uh, a a spy drone that has gone down over part of Russia and they're kind of debating whether they can get get it back without the Russian uh, mm. sort of prime minister knowing that it was a spy plane kind of thing. Um, and it was uh, the, the, the quality of the acting like leapt out straight away. Like the, mm. the cast of the show is, is incredible. Um, yeah. And then I was kind of lucky in the, uh, the, it was, to, it's towards the very end of the season that I happened to start watching. And, the next few episodes, which I think were the ones I kind of watched and then then made that decision to buy the box set, are some person some of my personal favourites, and I think one of the kind of the high watermarks for the show. Although interestingly enough, it's also where Aaron Sorkin leaves the show. Uh, he's he's the the creator and was the, the the basically the writer. He wrote, I think it works out as something like 85 of the first 88 episodes are at least in part written by him. Um, and then he departed the show, uh, and he leaves it on this real high point of tension of like, Oh my God, what's going to happen next? Um, Mm. and so those episodes I think are especially good at kind of getting their hooks into you. Um, Mm. because it essentially, it it features the vice president, uh, stepping down, and then mm-hmm. the president's daughter being kidnapped. Uh, and, oh, right. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, and so it's this, and it's, you know, I, I'm not someone who's ever watched 24, which I know is obviously mm-hmm. tonally a very different series, but also deals mm. with that kind of, oh, American politics and the president's being kidnapped and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And I think it was almost, I don't know if the timeline quite works on this. I think it was almost them doing a little bit of a nod towards like, oh, okay, if this is people, how people want their kind of uh, their television to be now. We'll do a little mm-hmm. bit of a nod towards that, but um, yeah. So those episodes are very, very like tense and very good uh, at sort of hooking you in. Uh, and then I went back to the beginning and found it kind of just as as compelling, really, even in the the episodes where it's just dealing with bureaucracy and negotiations with with Congress and stuff like that. Hmm. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like, I could see that happening. And yeah, it's funny that like you say with Aaron Sorkin, I'm sort of aware of a lot of his work, particularly I feel like after this show, he's become mm. known as he for sort of high stakes, usually politically driven dramas that are just really engaging. Like you said, they can take yeah. something that on the surface might seem a little perhaps just simplistic in a way, but then you he just has a way of bringing it to life, I think. So I, I could see that working in a, in a TV show format. And yeah, it's obviously good enough to get you in for an entire six season. Right? Yes. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, see, so yeah, I would talk a bit more about this cast then, I guess. I mean, the, um, as you say, the whole thing is basically, I mean, we haven't really talked about the premise of the show. So that's, yeah, we've kind of launched straight in. <laughs> straight uh, in, but go on. Yeah. So for people who haven't watched it, it, it essentially follows the, a, democratic president uh and his staff uh and their day-to-day activities kind of working 
at the West Wing, uh, or kind of the, uh, you know, the political heart of, you know, at least part of American politics. Um, right. And uh, it, it starts off when he's about a year into his first term. And over the course okay. of the series, you get him being uh, going through various, you know, scandals and political upheaval and all that kind of stuff. Um, gets reelected, and then the latter half of the kind of the, the last kind of season and a half of the show splits its time between what's happening at the West Wing and what the the campaign or campaigns, I should say, for both the the Republican and the Democrat who are coming in to potentially replace him. Right. Uh, and it, it was originally when they kind of first started conceiving of the show, the president was only going to be a guest star in it. Um, he was only going to oh, show okay. up occasionally and it was going to be, it was going to be much more focused on the staff and he would just be like this figure in the background. And then mm. they got Martin Sheen to star as the president and everyone was like, mm -hmm. Oh well, no, he's got to be in every episode because he's just amazing. <laughs> yeah, because he's Martin Sheen. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, it was very, very quickly became evident, and I think it would be hard watching the kind of the show as it is. It's very hard to conceive of it without him at the centre of it. Um, mm. It's such a an amazing performance, and they create a really well layered character uh, for him, um, and. And the and also the relationships that he has with with several of the other characters. Obviously, you know, the further down the kind of the chain of command you get, not everyone has a quote unquote relationship with the president. Um, you know, but they yeah. Uh, it's it's just kind of a fascinating look, and I think stuff like hierarchy and like power struggles and stuff like that is is something that Sorkin is fascinated with and writes very well. Um, mm. and so kind of even within that kind of jostling for position within the white house there's this kind of interesting drama going on uh there's a there's a bit where they uh one character is giving uh someone a tour of kind of where they work and they say oh you know it's exactly 48 steps to the oval office and if you think you we don't count how many steps it is you're crazy right <laughs> i love that i mean it just as a premise as a, uh, for a show it does sound it sounds actually quite interesting because it's, as you say, the sort of center mm. of American politics and somewhere that really impacts a lot of the world. So it kind of makes sense if to set a drama in there. And I kind of like actually the, the duality of it from what you've just described there, the idea that it's looking at the people, you know, behind the scenes who obviously have all the day to day and run. I can imagine so many other things in that because it's the stuff that we don't see mm. on camera, isn't it? In, in our, news and our media and all the rest of it but then to also tap into the personal life of a figure that is let's be honest often maligned and you know because it's the subject of speeches and headlines and, and so much surface level stuff that it's a drama that actually taps into the more personal side of of that character and everyone else around him just it sounds like a really good idea for a show, so I'm not surprised that it's <laughs> it's been this successful. Yeah, and I think you know there there had been previously dramas uh, about kind of politicians and stuff less so in the US than I think in the UK. You know, we have that history of of stuff yeah. like Yes Minister and the original House of Cards uh, and stuff like that. And yeah. America had bits and pieces of that, but but not so much. 
Um, and I think that certainly when you think about kind of America and, and how its politics are, there is a certain disdain for the federal government among certain people, uh, mm. you know, some would, some would say understandably. Mm. Uh, and so I know that there was certainly a struggle when they were trying to get this made of like, people aren't going to want to watch this. Uh, and you, there are definitely yeah. compromises that they have to make uh, because inevitably, if you're showing the White House, one party has got mm. into power and the other party hasn't. And you don't, you know, from the pure practicalities of making a TV show, you don't want to alienate all the viewers who would have voted for the other guy, so to speak. Uh, and so yeah. there's, a, there's a very careful balancing act that, um, and this is, this is part of where the West Wing is so very of its time, uh, it aired between mm -hmm. uh, 1999 to 2006, which obviously was a very interesting, to put it mildly, time for American politics. Um, mm -hmm. But it kind of comes from a, a, a pre-internet age to a certain degree. Obviously, the internet was around then, but it, didn't, it mm -hmm. hadn't had its impact on our culture as much. It hadn't led to this widening divide between the left and the right. And it was right. a period when you could still have, you know, the, the idea of, you know, the honourable Republican kind of thing was uh, mm. a bit more understandable. Uh, and I think, you know, there, there's actors and, and writers and stuff who've, who've worked on it have since said, like, yeah, you kind of don't get those characters so much in Washington anymore. You know, the, the political mm. sphere has become so much more, uh, you know, stratified uh and you're either you know you're either on the left or on the right um that this show tries to for the most part kind of wind a path more or less down the middle uh because it has mm. that understanding of like well we don't want to just paint all republicans as villains because otherwise we lose half the people who might watch us um so sure. so there's some interesting kind of uh uh, negotiations that go on there between what might have you know, and 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 um, you know when they were asked at the time, you know, oh, what's the does the show have a political agenda? You know, are you trying to do this thing? And for the most part, everyone working on it was kind of like we're just trying to make a good like drama, you know. Which uh, yeah. and and I think since then people have become a bit more outspoken. Certainly, some of the members of the cast have kind of gone on to say stuff, and they've even done recently i think only a few years ago there was a uh a special where they essentially they kind of redid one of the episodes as like a zoom call type thing um okay. uh, which was a benefit for uh kind of like a voter advocacy group basically kind of like trying encouraging people to vote um it was this special that was shown right. on, H on hbo at the time um and got mm -hmm. the original kind of cast back for the most part to you know, play their original roles and stuff like that. So um, I think mm. it, it's it certainly encouraged cast members to become political, even if they weren't before, maybe. Um, mm. And I think it, it's, um, it's one of those things where, um, like I say, it's very of its time in how it, it kind of deals with politics. And at the time, there were, you know, when the kind of the first season was coming out, there are a lot of people who were like, oh, mm. it's just trying to uh, kind of uh, cast the Clinton presidency in a really good light. Like, he's meant to be Clinton, clearly, you know, and, and it's just trying to say, like, oh, actually, Clinton was a great guy. Forget about all the impeachment nonsense. 
you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And it certainly has parallels with the Clinton presidency, but obviously then nine eleven happens and there is a that has a huge impact on the show. Um and it becomes mm. a lot more about, you know, there's a there's a much more bigger focus on kind of foreign policy and all that kind of stuff and and um so yeah, it's very interesting. I, I was a, a, a an American and English literature student at the time, so I was kind of uh interested in America. I had learned a bit about American politics kind of more so than the average person um but still had a very loose understanding of it and so the west wing actually served as a really great educational tool for me um watching it uh and right. then uh yeah and so and so it kind of gave me this understanding of how american politics kind of works for the most part or at least a foundation um yeah and uh yeah so it it's it's uh it's kind of fascinating looking at it both as as like a, an artifact of the time uh and as just kind of a drama series that, that worked really well hmm that's really interesting i mean i'm glad to hear that it's fairly balanced in its approach as well mm. and is obviously written with enough realism as well that you can pick up on some of the yeah some of the details i suppose because yeah it's just something that's obviously worth stating as you and I both from, not from yes. America, from England. So it's, it's kind of that thing of, yeah, I was also intrigued that you picked this as a, as a topic, as you're seeing it's a show all about American politics. It's mm. like, huh, okay. But from what you've described, it's obviously written in such a way that it's at least coherent and you can follow along and you learn stuff as you go. And again, I always love dramas that do that, that are grounded in a level of realism, particularly around something like this. I was just thinking about it, as you were saying there about the way that often presidents are portrayed, you know, in, in other forms of media. And you're right, it can be like quite either like villainous and, you know, uh, incompetent mm. <laughs> or it's really heroic and over the top, you know, and it's and it's sort of there's no in between, it seems, for the most part. And obviously and usually their leanings are very vague. You know, you don't really know where they're coming from they're just mr president you know in the movie and that's kind of it yeah <laughs> whereas as you say this is a chance to dive deeper into that and explore those nuances a bit more yeah absolutely yeah i mean it's it's been a while since i've watched like air force one for example but i don't know if they if they ever right. say whether he's a democrat yeah. or republican in that uh and i think you know there's plenty mm. plenty of other um you know shows and movies and stuff like that where uh you know the the, the it's just like you say he's just that figure of the president and it doesn't want to get into the nitty gritty um, of kind of what that means. Uh, and yeah, so I think like the show, as far as I'm aware, um, it doesn't have uh, any kind of real like boneheaded mistakes when it comes to like how American politics works. They had a lot of consultants mm -hmm. working on the show, like people who had previously worked at the White House uh, and stuff like that who would mm -hmm. who would consult on you know how it worked what it you know and and what we what wasn't seen by uh you know the tv cameras and stuff like that what went on behind the the scenes and obviously mm -hmm. there's lots of memoirs and stuff of people who've you know been politicians or you know political aides and and all that kind of stuff um so as far as i'm aware broadly speaking mm -hmm. it's uh it's true to life in at least uh how the US government functions, if not some of the situations that they get themselves in. Um, 
uh and obviously it's it's a pretty grounded show it's not having aliens invade or anything like that it's just um <laughs> right you know, uh, <laughs> uh no, no big Independence Day type speeches. Uh, no, in No, no. I mean, there's <laughs> definitely some big speeches, but uh, none of them are given yeah. while uh, stood on a fighter jet. Uh. <laughs> um, some some would say more. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think you know, and it's it's very interesting because there's definitely been a kind of uh, a demystification of 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 what it is like to work at the White House and. You think of, right. you know, looking at kind of like Trump's White House. We're so familiar with some of the names of the people who were kind of around him and were serving as like political advisors and chief of staff and stuff like that. And, you know, maybe it's just that I was younger back then. But, you know, even looking at something like like the Bush White House, I wasn't aware mm. to that depth of the people who were kind of surrounding him. I was like, you know, oh, well, Cheney's is vice president and I know he's, you know, got a lot of his fingers in a lot of pies but beyond that i i wasn't aware of kind of you know who was who was working where who was you know communications director and who was all this kind of stuff uh and i think that's that's something that that culture and the news and especially kind of with 24-hour news cycles and all that stuff has got a lot more comfortable kind of digging into like who are these people who are actually working there um and it wouldn't surprise Mm. me if the west wing has actually had an impact on that because i think it does to a certain degree, kind of inform uh, how people think of uh, the, the the White House and and what working there is like. Sure, yeah, yeah, I, I'd say that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the only shows that kind of dig into this stuff, and especially when they find an audience, right? I guess it shows that well, actually, people do care and people do want to know. So yeah, mm. it makes sense. Yeah, that news cycles and media and all the rest of it especially as it has intensified significantly since this show's mm. airing and what have you, that, yeah, they would gravitate towards something like that. Mm. I'm curious, anyway, you were talking a bit about this cast. Sort of, yeah, mm. walk me through some of the cast and, and, and who they are, because to me, I'm completely clueless as to who's... Yeah. <laughs> but the only one I do know is Martin Sheen is the president. That's about as much as I know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so Martin Sheen is the president. He uh, he is a Democratic president. Uh, president and most of the characters have kind of come from the the democrat party he um kind of one of the major things that happens early in the show although it's not in the 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 pilot episode or anything uh is that it it, uh we discover that he has been uh diagnosed with multiple sclerosis um which he which he had prior to becoming electing uh, elected president and no didn't disclose to anyone essentially um, and so right. over the course of the series, that comes out into public knowledge. It kind of, you know, more people find out and then they get to a point where they're like, we've got to tell everyone because it's about to come out and we've got to kind of control the story about it. Um, mm-hmm. And that leads to, you know, obviously political scandal for him. It's, you know, seen as, you know, him having kind of betrayed the public's trust uh, to a certain degree. Uh, and so there's a lot of fallout from that. Uh and uh, and then we have the kind of the staff that exists around him. So you have John Spencer as Leo McGarry, who's his chief of staff, which is kind of the, his primary counsellor, essentially, um, kind of who, who runs the rest of the staff in the West Wing. Uh, uh, Bradley Whitford, who people will probably best know from like Get Out and stuff like that, uh, looking a, a lot younger in mm. this uh, with a bit more hair. 
uh, is Josh Lyman, who's the deputy chief of staff. He's probably one of my favorite uh-huh. characters, um, if if not my favorite, maybe. Uh, he mm-hmm. kind of increasingly, as the show goes on, sort of becomes the the protagonist in a way, um, because he okay he leaves the White House at a certain point to become to search for the next president, essentially, um, uh, gotcha. and then becomes. The campaign manager and and chief of staff to the person who who's running for the Democrats uh, in that mm. thing. So he he there's a lot towards the back half of the series. There's a lot more episodes kind of focused on him and uh, Matt Santos, who's played by Jimmy Smith, who's the the guy who's campaigning to become president. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of following their adventures along the campaign trail. Um, uh, Richard Schiff plays Toby Ziegler, who's the communications director. He's like the primary speechwriter, and is kind of the mm-hmm. one of the more like outspoken members of staff. He's like the one who is more most likely to like hold the president to account and get into arguments with him. Um, okay. And then uh, you have Rob Lowe, who was kind of the biggest, apart from Martin Sheen, kind of the biggest star at the time. Yeah. Um, who plays Sam Seaborn? He is kind of this very. Uh, he's the deputy communications director, so he's another speechwriter. Works under Toby, and he's he's mm-hmm. kind of the the West Wing overall is a very idealistic series, and he's kind of like the heart of the idealism. He is the most right, not necessarily naive, but certainly like like I say, idealistic. He is hopeful. He kind of believes in the power of government and all that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and then he departs mid season 4 as well so that, that he kind of heads out and then comes back as a guest star later on um but i think he he kind of initially thought he would be the main character uh and there uh oh, and, and kind of over over time was kind of realized that he wasn't <laughs> at least that's that's my sense <laughs> of kind of the behind the scenes kind of scuttlebutt um gotcha uh and then uh the other main characters are uh CJ Craig played by the amazing Alison Janney um who is the press mm-hmm. secretary um or at least starts out as the press secretary um she kind of she has one of the more interesting journeys across the series as uh, in terms of her character because i think they just realized like what an asset they had in Alison Janney and that what an amazing actress she was right. um and uh, essentially, she she goes on to become chief of staff, replacing uh, Leo towards the the back half of the series. Um, uh, Leo suffered. Uh, John Spencer, the actor who played him, very sadly suffered a heart attack and then uh, had another had another oh, no. one and died during the series, um, which is something oh, they wow. kind of have to address, obviously. Um, and so he kind of. Mm stepped back from being chief of staff in the in the show Leo McGarry uh and is replaced by CJ um and then uh he goes on to become to run for vice president uh and okay. then dies just before the election happens in both in real life and in the show um and it's this incredibly mm. like tragic in real life tragic in the show you know obviously the show is mirroring reality there uh like that episode mm-hmm. is like one of those ones that will never fail to make me cry because it's just you know it's so mm-hmm. it's so close to the real life tragedy that happened and you have this big funeral and you can see it basically gets like everyone who was pretty much ever in the show back for this funeral 
Uh, yeah. And you can tell it's them, it's them mourning their, their actual friend, you know, who was the actor on the show as much as they're acting in that scene. So, um, oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, she, she, to go back to CJ, like she has this very interesting journey where kind of at the start she's seen almost as a little bit of a, a liability and maybe not like a political operator on the, on the rank of some of the others. And then mm. as time goes on, it becomes clear that no, actually she is, she's incredibly good at her job and that she is the right person to kind of step in and take over that, that pivotal chief of staff role. Um, mm. And then the last few people who are in the main cast are uh, uh, Charlie Young, played by Dulé Hill. Um, who is the president's what's what's called the body man, which is basically like the personal aide. It's the person who will like get stuff for the president and like hold his bags when he's coming off Air Force One and stuff like that. And it's it it's seen yeah. as kind of uh it's it's the kind of thing that would would be uh you know it's not a very uh thankful it's quite a thankless task in a lot of ways but also right. the fact that you're that close to the president like a lot of people who've been in that position and it's usually given to like a young man you know uh, mm-hmm. then go on to do like big things in politics because they have been like that close to the center of power uh to start with um he has again he has like an interesting journey of like where his character goes throughout the show um and then the final member who i probably class as kind of main cast is Donna Moss, who is Josh Lyman's assistant. Um for the for the mm-hmm. most part, like in the early seasons, she is very much the person who knows least about politics. And so when stuff needs to be explained, it's like it's Josh explaining it to Donna. Um right. and but uh, again she has a really interesting journey, particularly towards the back half of the season. She leaves um, to work for a different Democratic candidate's campaign, which kind of is this source of tension between her and Josh. Um, and then they end up kind of, she comes back when, when once the actual candidate is decided on, she comes back and works, you know, with him then. Uh, and they have a very slow burn, like romantic arc throughout the whole series that, that kind, of, kind of comes to, together at the end. Um, and she ends right. up being the uh, First Lady's Chief of Staff. Uh, and there's this really wonderful moment towards the end of the series where she's, you know, we're so used to, throughout the course of the series, you've seen Donna and she's been working in a cubicle in the West Wing, you know, that is, you know, six foot square or whatever. And, you know, she's got Josh yeah. just kind of yelling at her from his office to kind of phone someone or get him this or that, get him that. And then at the end of the series, she's like being shown around the the first lady's area of the West Wing. And um, she's like, oh, yeah, this, this office will be great for the First Lady. And they're like, no, this is your office. And it's like this huge, ornate <laughs> room with, you know, like massive desk and like table to have meetings on. And you, that, that sense of how far that character has come in that, in that time is kind of really brings that home. Um, she's played by Janelle Maloney, who's, who's um, apparently like for a while, I don't know if this is still the case, but like because she had a tiny role, she wasn't a main character when the series started, she was just, you know, a, a kind of, or not part of the, the, the main cast, you know, that was in the opening credits. Um, yeah. She had like one or two lines in the pilot episode uh, and the, the Aaron Sorkin and the, and the, the, the kind of the team directing and, and producing the show were just like, 
oh, we like her. We like her energy. Let's like bring her back and, and keep giving her more to do. Um, and so she ended up joining the main cast and then and goes on to have this great arc. Uh, and casting directors will be like, oh, this is like, they'll try and sell people on like minor roles in pilots by being like, don't you see, this is the Janelle Maloney part. This is the one where you're only going to have, you're only going to have two <laughs> lines in the first episode, but by the time the series ends, you'll be a main cast member and you'll be, you know. <laughs> right. Uh, Interesting. Um, and obviously there are various other um, like cast members who kind of come and go during the time. Um, and I think one of the real, real big uh, benefits of the West Wing or the things it has going for it is it has such uh, a kind of a deep bench when it comes to the actors on it. Um, I think mm -hmm. because Sorkin came out of the theatre world and likes to work with ca uh, actors who have that theatrical grounding, um, they kind of pulled a lot from that world uh, similarly. So you get some like just like really high class actors um, who were real kind of powerhouses, yeah. even doing like small roles where they're only there for like one or two episodes. Um, and it also means that they've just, they just had whoever was doing like the casting for it was just really talented because you'll have actors. The one who I always think of is Michael O'Neill, who has a, ve a very right. small role as the head of the Secret Service, shows up about six episodes in into the first season. And it just has a very mm -hmm. minor role where he's talking to the president about uh, the president's daughter's like security detail and like what it consists of and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and over the course of the show, I think he shows up in about 25 episodes. And like there are moments where of like real high drama that he's in. And there are moments where he's like giving these little monologues and he's yeah. just great and and it's like it's this casting that could so easily have gone to just pretty much anyone it, it was just like in the first episode he shows up in it's like oh you know it's he's just we just need a, an older man who looks stern you know and uh you know if they hadn't <laughs> if they hadn't as been like concerned about like getting this just this kind of quality from top to bottom in terms of the casting yeah it you know you could have ended up with just an actor who just was fine in that scene but that you wouldn't mm. want to bring back and obviously that part of that's a function of of you know we, oh we see this person's good let's have them back for more you know let's but you know it, yeah. it's the kind of thing where oh he's the chief of the secret service uh we should probably you know be consistent with that and for the most part there's a few roles where like uh um for example the um the white house council changes like four or five times over the course of the season but they kind of make a joke of it where it's like oh yeah we don't like lawyers around here so we keep losing them <laughs> um and and they do they have a few really great actors but they'll like show up for two episodes and then be like oh we couldn't get him back so now we've had to change it um but uh yeah they, i think for the most part it's it's kind of a testament to it must have been a good show to work on because mm -hmm. so many of the people who show up for one or two episodes early on, like then stick around and like keep coming back. Um, and there are a few mm. noticeable exceptions to that. Uh, there's one member who there's one member of the, the who is uh, in the main cast in the first season and then disappears and we never find out what happened to her. Um, uh, oh. And it's clearly like just clearly didn't work out 
something wasn't working there. Yeah. Um, and uh, they uh, around the time uh, it was being re- it was referred to as being being put on a bus to Mandyville. Uh, whenever whenever a <laughs> cast member disappeared off a show, it's like yeah, they're 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 off there. They've just kind of wandered off into the background somewhere. <laughs> okay, uh, never to be explained. Well, fair enough. Um, Mm. Well, yeah, and uh, <laughs> that's quite a great term, actually, the more <laughs> I think about it. <laughs> but yeah, it's funny you say that because um, I do feel that that is something that is indicative of all kinds of great TV shows as, as something we've talked about quite a bit, actually, on this podcast, whether it's sitcoms, whether it's uh, the topic that your other co-host, Jack, uh, chose for his. <laughs> you know, there's there's other shows like that that you when you when you look at it and you go wow this is really working and everyone seems to be clicking and like you say you're getting all these amazing performances and the chemistry looks great that it usually has a lot to do with what's going on behind the scenes mm-hmm. as you say and then you listen to writers directors actors so forth talk about their experiences and it always seems to be oh yeah it was amazing we loved working on it we didn't want it to end and I, I, i'm a firm believer that that really does translate on the screen so much that if everybody is having a good time and genuinely enjoys working together and everyone's firing on all cylinders creatively, you know, just top to bottom across the the cast and crew. It always, always comes through mm. on the screen. Yeah. And I think it's knowing kind of a bit about how Aaron Sorkin works. It's kind of fascinating that everyone is so like, for the most part, I have not seen, and there, I'm sure there are out there people who didn't like kind of working on it or whatever, or who have nightmare okay. stories. But um, for the most part, <laughs> everyone that I've seen is kind of would be is like, oh, I would absolutely go back and and work with him again or whatever. Which is to me kind of and and several of the like he's had other obviously other TV shows, he's had other movies and stuff like that, and there are people who have gone back and worked with him kind of repeatedly. Um, and but he kind of sounds like an absolute nightmare uh because he will he insists on writing every episode essentially while he, while he was there he insisted on it he like um okay. which meant that he was incredibly overworked um it's quite widely known that he was using quite a few drugs to keep up the pace of his writing uh and oh, wow. he would end up with uh you know, it would be like, oh, okay, we're shooting this scene today. We don't have the pages yet. Um, and, you know, they come down at the last minute, you know, kind of like, you know, Moses coming down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments of like, here is the work. And it's like, <laughs> oh, oh, it's absolutely fantastic. Would have been nice if we'd had this a week ago kind of thing. Um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it's interesting. And, they, you know, the cast will talk about how... Uh, you'd get to, uh, once you get past Aaron Sorkin's kind of tenure on the show and into seasons five, six, and seven, there's definitely an adjustment period. And I think season five is is the weakest, mm. to my opinion, um, because you can, you can okay. tell that the show is kind of going like how, you know, his writing has been such a part of what makes this show this show. And obviously he has worked with other writers during that time and... You know they're going to try and recreate his kind of voice in the dialogue, his style of dialogue as best they can and stuff. But there's definitely an adjustment period, um, and I think you know the, the the first half of season five in particular, you you feel them kind of frantically trying to keep the show together 
yeah. and but then people will say how um john wells who was the other one of the other executive producers who'd been on the show since the start he had come from er which obviously was hugely successful um yeah yeah and had helped get the show made but kind of hadn't been had kind of been relatively hands-off to start with in season five six and seven he becomes the showrunner essentially he kind of becomes the head writer and, and the, the executive producer in a more hands-on way and everyone was like once he took over like obviously there was an adjustment period but he, everything ran so smoothly then because he was such an old hand mm. you know he he was the kind of person who knows exactly how to run a tv set and you know what is yeah. needed by certain people when whereas aaron sorkin's like this mad genius who is like oh you know the scripts you're getting are so good but he's kind of all over the place and you know he's you know you're, yeah. you're kind of you're so beholden to him and you know what he's writing and uh, to a certain extent his mm. quirks and ego and stuff like that so it's it, like that mm. period is is a very fascinating uh period for the show even if it's not high quality it's kind of it's interesting mm. watching them try and hold it together and and the show definitely like evolves at that point and it becomes okay. a bit more about the the kind of the personal stories of of who's working there and a little bit less focused on politics overall although mm. obviously there's still it's set at the west wing <laughs> politics is inevitable yeah. um but i think it takes more of an interest in uh the kind of the private lives and and just the um more like the personal motivations of the characters that it's it's dealing with at that point um and you get you get some right. new characters brought in you get some i think there's definitely some cast members who lose out a little bit in the post sorkin age and don't have as okay. as rich material to work with but then i think there's also characters who get much more to do in that period um you know, and I, I, Aaron Sorkin's writing is one of those things I can talk about all day because I both, uh, he's a writer who has amazing talent in certain spheres and very obvious deficiencies in others. Um, uh, okay. he's not great at writing women. Uh, he's not great at writing people of color. Uh, he has, uh, ah. a, a, an almost hysterical disdain for the internet which is hilarious when you think he went on to write The Social Network. Um, but yeah, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, hang on a second. <laughs> but then you think about that film and it's like how much of that film is actually about the internet and how much of it is about personal struggles and like power dynamics between the people who are making it. It's like, because he doesn't, he doesn't care about the internet. Um, and there's, there's some times when he tries to deal with that on the show uh, and it's some of the, it's one of the few bits of the show where you're like, Oh, this is very painful, Aaron. You just shouldn't don't touch this area. Um Yeah. And um and so I think that, you know, the fact that uh after he leaves the show, kind of CJ gets a lot more to do, um, and Donna gets a lot more to do is kind of indicative of, you know, I d and I don't think it's a uh a, a conscious, you know, sexism or misogyny or anything like that on his part. And and actresses who've right. worked with him have always just kind of you know, praised him and said, you know, oh, the writing's so great and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think there's there's a definite extent to which Aaron Sorkin is always kind of writing what Aaron Sorkin would say in that situation. 
Um, okay. And so obviously, the further you get from being Aaron Sorkin, the harder he finds it to write for you. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> sure. and and the uh, the slightly less authentic it feels. Um, yeah, you know, and it's a show that you know uh, there have been rightful criticisms of like it's an incredibly white show uh there's very few characters mm. of you know color that who are kind of consistent cast members and certainly arguments could be made like well if it's an accurate reflection of what american politics is like then yeah unfortunately people mm. of color do get shut out from those high positions and uh you know mm. a, it sort of it, it was over by the time uh, Obama came into power and kind of perhaps redefined that expectation a little bit. Um, although, funnily enough, Jimmy Smith, who plays the, the the congressman who then runs for president and, and eventually wins, um, is Latino. And they, when they were researching like how to craft his character, uh, they actually looked at Obama at the time, who was a, a junior senator then, but had like got got ah. some bars, and they were like, "Oh, okay, maybe we can like take that character and like change it a bit, and you know, make him Latino rather than African American, and you know, what would it look like if he ran for uh for office uh, for for president?" Um, and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and then two years later, you get Obama running for president. So it's it, there's there's wow. some interesting bits where it's uh you know art reflects reality and reality reflects art. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I'm just wondering with this Aaron Sorkin sort of control freakiness, if you will, yeah, <laughs> where the sort of the, that kind of stems from. Something you mentioned earlier caught my attention: the um, the theatre background. So was he sort of? I don't know much mm. about his his career, sort of pre television. So was he? Um, yeah, sort of theatre director and writer. Then I'm I'm assuming he certainly came up from theatre writing. Yeah. Uh, that was kind of where he okay. started out, and then he wrote A Few Good Men, which started out as a play, okay. and then he wrote the film for that, which was kind of um, you know his big breakout yeah. in terms of as far as Hollywood was concerned. Um, and and obviously as mm -hmm. a play, it also did incredibly well. Um, and then that was kind of how he made that transition from writing for plays to then doing some film work and wrote a couple of other films, and develop those relationships that then led to him working in television mm. um so yes so he he comes from that theater world where obviously the the time pressures and uh just how mm. the whole thing is run is incredibly different from television yeah um so yeah it does to a certain extent make sense that he would um you know, if you're writing a play, you kind of, you write the play and it's not until the play is done that you then start thinking about putting the play on. Whereas TV, it's like, well, there's an episode coming out next week, so we need, we can't delay that for you to finish writing this thing. Mm. We need the words. Um, and I do, I think it's interesting yeah. that he's, he's done more television since after this, but seems at this point now more interested in doing movies. Um, he obviously did The Social Network. He's done the Steve Jobs film, uh, the Trial of the mm -hmm. Chicago 7, which was the Netflix one that came out recently, um, yep. and he's done some directing as well. So, so yeah, I think uh, there's definitely an aspect of uh, coming from that, that theatre background that probably impacts kind of certainly his working methods. Um, yeah, 
that, that makes a lot of sense. I was was wondering about that, like you say, the, the time pressures and and also the kind of creative control mm. I think that comes with that because you know with the plays it's it's very I guess intimate you're with the audience you know you you are writing everything like you said you're doing it in that sort of almost like sort of breakneck pace of coming up with it and then putting it straight out there that yeah I can imagine that would have been quite a hard adjustment to like no no you can have a team of people do this for you and we can do it in turns and we need it in advance and you know it's this is very different so I can imagine yeah that was quite a an adjustment by the sounds of it perhaps for the benefit of hindsight maybe you would have done a few things differently who knows but it's interesting to know yeah and um do you, do you feel that kind of comes across then in the show like does that perhaps explain some of the faster paced dialogue all this sort of the way people perform yeah i mean absolutely you can you can tell if you're looking for these things that he comes from that theater background um and i think you know so much of the the drama in the west wing isn't you know it's not stuff blowing up it's not stuff it's not you know it's not yeah. even uh you know people performing you know operations in a in a hospital or anything like that it's people talking mm. to each other and so much of it could be staged like a play um and interestingly yeah. kind of like the third executive producer who was uh Thomas Schlame um who was i i believe started out as a theater director um and directed a bunch of the episodes of the show uh including like the pilot and stuff like that um he found interesting ways to make just people talking to each other compelling like one of the things that mm. even people who kind of don't know the west wing um might know about it is the kind of the infamous walk and talks yeah, uh, yeah which is where they'll you know it's characters having a discussion while we get these long steady cam shots of them kind of like walking around the west wing going from one room to the other that kind of thing um and it's a yeah. way to add a bit of dynamism to the show so it's not just two people you know stood in a room or sat down in a room having a conversation mm. and it shows off the kind of the frantic nature of the west wing and how there's a million things going on at the time and you know people in the mm. background you know having phone conversations or looking through legislation and stuff like that uh it, it, it captures that sense of kind of uh, barely controlled chaos, uh, uh, and yeah. allows you know a little bit more uh, visual imagination um, rather than everything feeling kind of locked down. Um, and there, there are some absolutely great scenes where it is literally just two people in a room uh, having a conversation. Uh, but uh, I, and I think you know, and there are certainly moments when it uh, expands beyond that the uh the finale of the first season features uh mm. an assassination attempt on the president or w what we initially think is an assassination attempt it turns out to be a little bit more complex than that um but okay. it's it's one of like to my mind it's one of tv's both great cliffhangers because it we we mm. have this amazing build up of tension and then it ends with the gunshots and then it like fades to black and you just have this voice going who's been hit who's been hit and you don't know if anyone has been hit and then obviously right, people okay. watching at the time had to then wait you know five months or whatever for the next season to come around yeah and then there's a two-part episode at the start of season two uh called in the shadow of two gunmen which to my mind is it's like one of the best episodes of television of all time um and it deals wow. with 
the aftermath of that shooting and it also flashes back to how each of the members of the kind of the, the core cast essentially like joined the Bartlett campaign to start with so because because yeah. it's started kind of a year into his term as president we don't really know that much about like how he became president to start with or or kind of what the what his earlier years looked like so it, it manages yeah. to combine that kind of interesting look back at the staff first meeting you know who knew each other beforehand who brought who on board all those kind of things um and him starting off quite kind of not really getting on with people uh and then you counteract you kind of uh juxtapose that with the out you know the, the kind of the the aftermath of the assassination attempt and all these people who were just absolutely kind of distraught because they care for each other so much and then in the flashbacks you have the president who's very dismissive of them uh, to start with and doesn't care about them you know much at all mm. and then you show him coming around to them and 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 learning the value of his staff and that kind of stuff so mm. that that if yeah. i would if i would you know i i'm sure it loses something in kind of not having a season to build up to it but if i was to say to anyone like here is the show at its best and and to show you kind of like it at the height of its powers like that is the the the, yeah. the, the, the two-parter episode that i would show people um and yeah. and because i think it is an absolutely like flawless piece of television that's awesome man and it sounds like something that makes a lot of sense as well to write i think to sort of give you that almost like dissecting your main character a little bit mm. interrogating his flaws a little bit but then also yeah how everybody comes together in a moment of crisis and yeah i think that that makes complete and total mm. sense to do it like that and i i gotta say the more you're talking about it the more i'm like i'm gonna have to track this down <laughs> My my list of watching at the minute it's it's just growing. I've for some reason done a few television series <laughs> on this podcast, and every single time I'm like, right, I have to start that, <laughs> even if it's a rewatch. Yeah. So, but I, I think I need to add this to the list by the signs of things. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's definitely a show that watching it nowadays, you're going to have a very different kind of reaction to certain parts of it than when it was contemporary, um, and. Uh, so I think I think it I I I'm I'm always kind of fascinated with people who would be watching it kind of now, how they react to it. Um, so I you know if you do end up watching it, I would love to know your thoughts. Um, but uh, definitely, I'm even having a quick little look now. Um, I think it is streaming in certain places, so you know. Um, I'm just having a quick little look on the <laughs> just watch. Uh, um, okay, all right. If you've got Free Eve, whatever that is, or Free V, okay, <laughs> that's um, <laughs> apparently on there. But oh, seven seasons on um, four, more four. There you go. Awesome. There you go. All four. Um, Done. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and I think I think you know, there's certainly ways in which politics has moved on since then, and um, right. you know, there's characters who feel a little. Maybe they were always unrealistic, uh, but but um certainly feel more so now um but i think the the human drama of it uh holds up um and yeah. the the relationships between the characters uh and those are the the kind of as well as the moments of high drama of you know assassination attempts and and whatnot uh you know the moments mm. that really kind of stick with me uh are 
the relationships between the characters uh, and those moments when those when there is you know tension and drama there uh and i think mm. um that even if you kind of stripped the politics out of the show somehow uh, uh the <laughs> right. uh the the kind of the the characters are very very well written and very well rounded as well um and i think yeah. that uh for the most part especially um uh bartlett played by martin sheen like the show does so much diving into his kind of psychology and his history like his kind of relationship with his father and uh mm-hmm. you know the the kind of um when he has to kind of grapple with the whole fact that yes he did you know lie about his his disease to 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 essentially get himself elected um uh it it does some really like interesting stuff just kind of picking apart at him uh and i think mm. martin sheen is is spectacular uh in the role he's he's so good uh and um he has he has one of the all-time great like entrances into a tv show because um the pilot because it was originally envisioned like i said to be more about the staff and less about the president um mm-hmm. f- you don't see martin sheen until right at the end of the pilot um it's been mm. like lots of people kind of referring to him and discussing him and stuff like that uh and it ends with this meeting between uh some of the white house staffers and the uh uh this kind of quite right-wing christian organization and they get into a argument about which of the commandments is which um and it, and it ends right. uh, and so this character goes like well what's the first commandment and martin sheen just walks into the room and goes i am the lord your god and you shall serve no other but me <laughs> and it's like that is a way to introduce a character <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that is quite the entrance <laughs> yes so <laughs> incredible <laughs> um i love yeah. it so but yeah i think i mean he he is um so great kind of across the show and 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 i think a thing that people maybe don't know just kind of based on reputation or whatever quite a funny show as well um like the humor yeah. doesn't always track but for the most part um it is it's a very funny show and most of the characters get a chance to be uh pretty hilarious in like in very characterful ways like it doesn't it kind of um doesn't it never feels forced the humor um mm. in the kind of like oh well we need a gag here to make this work it's like no it, it's kind of uh and there's a lot of people uh there's a there's kind of a a thing which apparently is drawn from real life which is that whenever like a new member of staff comes in there are a lot of pranks played on them um, which apparently, in, at least in certain administrations, is how it is in the White House as well. Um, there's a character played by Josh Molina called Will Bailey who kind of joins in season four um, and uh, ends up just... There's, there's a great bit where um, there's another character who's like uh, recently kind of shown up in the White House and he's like... Uh, He's saying like, "Oh, are you, are you guys pranking me with this thing that you're asking me to do?" And he's and and Will Bailey's like, "No, they don't do that here. Except, yes, you've filled my pockets full of olives again." Um, <laughs> uh, and it's it's uh, definitely he he's a character who kind of uh, gets uh, gets put put through a lot of stuff before um, 
he's considered to have kind of proved himself. <laughs> wow. Okay. No, I, I like the sound of that because um, that's the thing. I can imagine a show like this could could easily be very dry and hard to watch. Yeah. So like you say, you need those moments, don't you? Definitely of humanizing characters and and inserting humor here. It's it's something I always find really funny as like an argument whenever people are like, "Oh, there's too many jokes in this <laughs> thing," whatever it is, and you're like, "Yeah, but." Have you met people? Yeah. Like, it's just what we do. It doesn't matter what industry you work in. I mean, you can work in, I don't know, the morgue or something in a hospital, and you're going to have gallows humor. You know, you're going to have dark humor. It's, it's just something that's universal to us as human beings. You know, we, we always have a joke and, and make quips or do silly things. Like, it's everywhere in life. Like you say, that to the extent, obviously, is important, as you say, whether it's forced or not. but yeah, humor is everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it, it's when you have characters who are dealing with these incredibly high stakes situations that they're dealing with, um, you know, in, yeah. ter- you know, in terms of yeah, the yeah. impact that they can have, um, it's natural that you need a release valve, you know, both, both in terms of like yeah, totally. the characters themselves and also just the show like it couldn't be 100% serious all t- all the time because a like you say people no. are funny and people make jokes mm. you know everywhere all the time uh and mm. also it would just be if it was just drama 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 or you know here's some technical facts about how congress works kind of thing it would be so dry yeah, and, yeah. and unentertaining it would be so you know intense and kind of uh, high-minded and it's like no you you need some chuckles in there occasionally yeah of course you do yeah it's just it's how we function as human beings it's, it's something i've always found really odd whenever someone argues that it's like no that's just what people do <laughs> you know and if if you meet somebody who doesn't have a sense of humor it's one of the strangest interactions you'll ever have and you it's kind of the first thing you think is like god that guy needs to laugh a bit more or smile you know yeah. it's <laughs> Just because that's what we do. It's a universal language. So yeah, yeah. it makes total sense. Um, I'm wondering then, does this sort of wrap up in a satisfying way? Because I often feel that that's could be quite a tricky thing for a really good television series of any mm. kind of genre, really, when it's doing so well and you think, right, okay, you need to bring it in for a landing here. How are you going to do yeah, it? Yeah, I, I would say it's pretty successful. Like... um you know, okay. it's, That's good. it's, uh, you know, I, maybe not necessarily like up there in the kind of all time great ways to, you know, finish your, your kind of breaking bad is probably one of the ones that I would always point to as like that show ends perfectly. Hard agree. <laughs> and funny enough, Jack's uh, chosen topic. So. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, um, but yes, we definitely agree with that here. Yeah. Uh, so maybe not those, those high heights, but I think it does for the mm-hmm. most part, like it touches on kind of where every character kind of finds themselves and um, what the future looks like for them. Uh, and I think that for the most part, it does, it, it feels very kind of successful and it, and it ends at a natural point as well. Um, it essentially ends on the, uh, the, uh, what's the word? Uh, not coronation. <laughs> That's what we do. Oh, um, uh, yeah. <laughs> now, what is the on. word? Swear, swearing in? Something like that. Uh, 
Apologies, listeners. Neither of us are Americans, so we can't <laughs> quite recall. Uh, it's 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 essentially it ends on the day that the new president becomes the president, and the and Martin Sheen's president right. ceases to be the president anymore. Um, okay. So it's uh, yeah, uh, inauguration. That's the word I was searching. Inaugur. Yeah, that was yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's. Uh, so it ends on that day, which is a very kind of natural end for the show because it's it's followed, uh, yeah. you know, the Bart- Bartlett administration, um, essentially kind of not quite from the beginning, but but over the course of its lifetime, um, mm-hmm. and you you get the same, you know there 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 are certain characters who have become part of the new administration, um, and you know the you get the sense of where they are going to go on to. Uh, and you, the people who are leaving, you have you know a sense of where their lives are taking them as well. Uh, and I think it it does, it ends on a very nice note. Uh, and in fact, the it kind of gives you a little bit more than that at the start of the final season. They do this like flash forward that's meant to be set. I think it's about three years into the future. Um, okay. So you get this kind of short scene where you have. It hints at the kind of the future that a few other characters have, have found themselves in, but it also doesn't reveal who has won the election that essentially most of that season covers. Ah, um, it, okay. So it's um, it does that very kind of cleverly. Uh, so yeah, I think I think it ends it ends pretty well, and I would certainly say like I touched on like the fact that kind of season five is quite wobbly in terms of finding its feet after Aaron Sorkin leaves. And I think that mm. by by about halfway through season six, if not a little bit sooner, the show has really found its feet again and it kind of knows what it's doing. Mm. And when they start covering the kind of the, the new campaigns for who is going to be president after Bartlett, it gives the show a real new injection of energy. Because I think right. I think, you know, one of the things is that the show is fundamentally about idealism and the notion that politics at that level can be a good thing uh, and that, you know, the people right. who are working there are trying to achieve things for people and they're not just, you know, it is, it is not a show that in the kind of, in the vein of something like House of Cards or, uh, or even uh, the thick of it, where it's filled with these characters who are just kind of ambitious for their own ends. For the most part, the characters who you're dealing with are actually trying to help people, and they they are using you know government as their instrument to do that, and mm. and I think that there's a natural kind of struggle. It's hard to still be idealistic when you are at the end of a president's two terms because you have to face up to the fact that like you have spent you you have used your time in the most powerful position that you have uh you know and you've probably done you know the most thing you know things that the biggest things that you will ever achieve in your life you have achieved at that yeah. point um and in fact it's it's something they they kind of touch on a bit in the series they you know they talk about how you can do more in one day in the west wing than you probably can with the rest of your life you know depending on you know what you end up doing or and so forth but um you know it's this position you're in a position to do this incredible amount of good and 
when time is running out on that, you're naturally going to think about like, well, what have we actually achieved? How much can I do with the time we have left? Which tempers that idealism a little bit because you're, you, you, you know, naturally going to be kind of more contemplative and uh, thinking about what you've achieved. And so the fact that they can balance that tone with then looking at incoming, you know, potential presidents and their staff who are at the, yeah. the start of that up curve and thinking about all the things that they want to achieve and, you know, battling their way. And it, and it becomes an underdog story again. Uh, and mm. so I think, you know, the, 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 the final season in particular becomes this very compelling story because you have that injection of idealism again and the sense of, um, and, and, you know, just from the very basic fact of, you're covering the race for a president, you know, and a lot of the drama is coming from that. Right. And that's a very compelling thing to cover. You know, there's a reason why our news, you know, coverage about elections, you know, whether they be American president or British prime minister or whatever, you know, that is something that is so rich with drama in the real world and getting to see kind of behind the scenes. Um, and, you know, from the real kind of, uh, sort of down and dirty beginnings when it's, you know, a candidate just going around to a dump and shaking hands with people and introducing himself to get himself known um, because he's from Texas and they're campaigning in New Hampshire and no one's ever heard of him, uh, you know, and it's, it's, right. uh, so yeah, I think the, uh, I'm, I wouldn't necessarily like say that season seven ends on a high, but it is, uh, it's a return to form, I think, for the show, and so it does. It does end in a very good place. Awesome! No, I love to hear that because it's it's one of those things, isn't it? Whenever a uh, a show a showrunner or like a main character actor or someone like that leaves the show, mm. that can be a very wobbly, tricky time for a series, and it can sort of stumble and often struggle to regain its form. So it's good to know that they find a way to make it more interesting and at least pick it back up again. And it's something that I'm just thinking about the more you describing the nature of it as well as it definitely strikes me as the kind of show that in the vein of something like Breaking Bad, for for example, mm. or like Mad Men or I you know The Wire, other, other shows like that that often get bandied about as sort of heralding a change in the way that mm. uh, television dramas were written and performed and acted because around the time that this show came out, there's a lot of stuff that's just very formulaic. And, you know, we look back at it fondly that like you mentioned 24. Uh, Lost is another example. Uh, Heroes is another one that I often cite um, as like, you can look back at it fondly, but in terms of how they're written and how they're structured, they became very, very formulaic and very predictable. And you could tell that they had to basically stretch out an entire season and, and just come up with things and, that have happened in the middle just to keep people watching that mm. would sometimes go nowhere or be resolved like two episodes later just so they could go, well, that's fine. We've had it <laughs> for time. We've just got to get to the end. Whereas this, from what you've described, strikes me as very much the opposite. Like it's heading more in the sort of what we now call prestige mm. television where it's like, no, no, we're just going to flesh out these characters and we're going to put them in situations that make sense and they're going to have arcs that come to a logical conclusion and, you know, it's just basically written with a bit more care and attention. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it comes at a very interesting point in the kind of 
how TV was evolving in terms of serialization yeah. and stuff like that. Um, you know, it's it's at that period at the kind of the turn of the millennium where audiences were more accepting of like longer arcs and stuff like that. But we hadn't hit that streaming age where you could be like, oh, a TV show is just one. It's it's like a movie in ten parts or whatever. Um, yeah, and yeah. so you know there are significant chunks of the show which are which feel almost in that kind of procedural vein where it's like you don't really need to know much beyond the character you know you could kind of shuffle the episodes around and it wouldn't make much of a difference so to speak um yeah but then there are also definitely parts when it's dealing with certain ongoing problems so for example you know the kind of the the almost the entirety of the back half of season two is taken up with more people finding out about the president's MS and then them deciding to reveal that to the public. Right. Uh, and so those ep- that kind of cluster of episodes feels very serialised in, in certain parts, but then there's also, because of the nature of the White House and how much stuff is going on at any given time, there's characters who have subplots or plots that they're dealing with that are nothing to do with that, but that are re- equally important because that's the problem of the day or the problem of the week. Um, so I think it does a pretty good job of balancing that, that desire for serialization and the ability for each episode to feel like its own episode. Um, and that it doesn't, you know, when there, when the, um, the problem with serialization is that if you're only telling one story, you know, that cat and you suddenly decide oh actually we need another episode it's well you're going to stretch that story thinner you know this is a show that is yeah. telling a lot of different stories that are all part of one bigger mm. story if that makes sense um and so uh the the kind of i and i think certainly as time goes on and it the, towards the end when it's dealing with the campaigns and stuff that is more serialized just because of the nature of you know, the campaign is kind of a constantly moving forward thing and it has a very specific destination in mind. It has, you know, the, okay, we've got to win the primary, then we've got to win the general election and then now you're the president kind of thing. Whereas when you're dealing with the day-to-day business of the White House, you're just dealing with the problem that's in front of you and hopefully maybe with a with a longer-term agenda in mind and then it becomes more about how the characters are developing over that period um, than necessarily like a story that has a, a specific kind of space and time to be told um so i think yeah in those terms you know there's there, there are probably people who would watch it now if you've kind of grown up on on streaming and heavily serialized stuff where you'd be like oh well, nothing really happens in this episode and it's like well no lots happens it just there isn't a single ongoing story arc that it's following it's doing a lot of different stuff at the right. same time um but to me you know, as someone who kind of grew up with stuff like, you know, Star Trek The Next Generation and X-Files and Buffy and stuff like that, where you would have, uh, mm. you know, perhaps an ongoing arc, but also individual episodes that would have their own stories. You know, yeah. to my mind, that's kind of the perfect balance of television, because it means if I, if I decide that I want to go back and rewatch something, I can just pick a random episode mm. and I know that there's going to be a decent amount of you know drama and interesting stuff going on there um in any given episode uh mm. and i'm not going to feel like i'm kind of like i have to sit down and go oh okay 
who knows about what at this point and you know kind of that you know mm. even in at certain points you know if i if i was to jump into as good as breaking bad is i'm not sure i'd want to jump into mm. a random episode at the end of season four and go like okay what's going on here it's like oh this do you know what? That, that's a good point actually yeah 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 you're right yeah those kind of more serialized shows yeah the the rewatch factor's there but you have to do it in order exactly yeah, you're absolutely right you could just yeah. pick a random a random place because you'd be very lost <laughs> yeah um so i think you know at least for me that helps with you know and I, I think i said at the beginning like the west wing is a real comfort watch show because i can just kind of decide you know oh you know maybe i'd like to rewatch, you know the the kind of uh the the, the second bartlett campaign you know bit in the middle of the show where he's you know campaigned to become president not become president the second time but retain the presidency kind of thing maybe i'll watch that bit of the show and that's you know Mm -hmm. six or seven episodes or whatever um or i can just be like oh you know i just fancy watching an episode tonight and i can kind of pluck one from wherever and know that they're the quality will you know pretty consistently be high yeah yeah that's almost like a sort of best of both worlds kind of situation yeah yeah i think you know when I think about kind of the state of TV in general, I think that's something that has been lost mm. a little bit with the focus on streaming is that, um, mm. you know, that, that ability to just have a single unit of the, I think the episode is still an important unit of television mm. to think about rather than just thinking about uh, a season as a whole. So, um, but yeah, that's me. That's me getting on my little, uh, things used to be better back in my day, horse. <laughs> That's yeah, fair <laughs> enough. It's fair enough. And I and do you know what? I think these things kind of ebb and flow in terms of trends. So who knows? Maybe that's something that we might see a return of. Mm. People might get to a point where, you know, I think the whole reason that like serialized stuff has kind of become so popular is as you say, streaming as a platform lends to itself quite nicely. But also a lot of those shows that were very much, you know, the monster of the week in quotes or mm. that kind of thing did get so thinly stretched that I think something like a West Wing or a Breaking Bad or, you know, Mad Men, whatever, became more appealing because it's like, oh, this has got more going on. But I think eventually when that becomes the norm, people might just mm. long <laughs> for the day, the older, the good old days. Yeah. <laughs> so you never know, man. You yeah, never know. Absolutely. I think it's so much dictated by, like, how we consume shows and it's a kind of, you know, there's mm-hmm. there are so many shows out there that are still uh, very non-serialized they're just in genres where we don't necessarily like talk about as much you know they're not the kind of prestige genres you know they're stuff like sitcoms or uh you know your kind of police procedurals and you know all that that kind of stuff you you know your your law and order is never going to become uh particularly serialized so no um no 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 but yeah i think like you say there's there there may be a swing back at, at some point but uh we shall see yeah, so I'm just wondering, Tim, is there um, is there anything else you wanted to bring up with with West Wing? Uh I mean, I could go on for ages, but I think we've touched on all the the, the major <laughs> topics. Um, I think uh, you know, it's like I said, it's it's a show where uh, I could talk for a long time about uh, the things that I perceive to be wrong with it. <laughs> um, but okay. also, there's so much, you know there's so much that I love about it and you know it's a show that I've gone back to so many times um 
and mm. and I genuinely think that uh, it's it's got some of the best acting in television, you know, and some of the best writing and directing as well, uh, you know. And when all three of those things are are working in concert, it's it's pretty flawless. Brilliant. That's, that's quite the elevator pitch, I have to say. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, I'm again, I'll add this to the list, yep. and um, I'll be sure to let you know once I've got through it. Um, but yeah, I guess in the meantime, where I guess all I have to say really is thank you for coming on. And where can the good people find you once they've inevitably binge watched this series? <laughs> uh, well, thank you for having me. Uh, the best place to find me is uh, on Sequelizers. Uh, we are a film podcast about. Uh, bad sequels and trying to fix them uh we've uh, mm. pretty recently started our season 11 uh just now so um i'm not sure where we will be in in terms of that when this episode comes out but uh we do seasons where we fix movies and then we do our interseason where we just kind of discuss various topics um we also do live streams and uh all kinds of things to do with that sequelizers.com uh or sequelizers on any podcast platform of your choice uh and then you can find me individually uh the best place to do that is on twitter i am trivia underscore lad uh where i mostly just uh give my opinions about uh tv and comics and films and stuff and retweet nonsense <laughs> it's the best way to be on twitter yeah. i think <laughs> awesome well thanks again tim it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for having me and there we have it. Thank you so much, Tim, for coming onto the podcast and sharing your love of this incredible TV series. I hope you guys listening really enjoyed this episode. Make sure that you go and check out Sequelizers. If you've heard this podcast before, you'll know that I'm a big fan of theirs. I've had the privilege of having both Jack and Matt, his co-hosts, on this show twice now. So make sure that you go back and check out those episodes as well. But yes, Sequelizers, absolutely wonderful podcast. You should go and check it out. Links are in the show notes for you to go and do so. And what do you think about The West Wing? Is it a show that you enjoy? If so, reach out to both myself and Tim via Twitter. It's the best place to reach us, really. Let us know what you think of the episode, what you think of the show. And if you want to go that one step further and have an even deeper conversation, then why not head over to Discord and check out the Fundamentals Discord server. I'll be setting up a dedicated channel for this very episode. So if you'd like to jump in, have a chat with like-minded individuals about this show, or even share something with me that perhaps Tim didn't discuss, or something you feel is really important about the West Wing, then head on over to that Discord server, check out that channel, and let me know what you think. I would love to hear from you. And finally, if you're enjoying the podcast and you'd like to give it some support, there are a few key ways of doing so. First and foremost is exactly what you're doing right now, which is listening. So thank you. Thank you so much for giving me your time and supporting the show in this way. It really does mean a lot. And if you enjoyed it, then share it. That's all I really ask. You just click of a button, you can retweet it, you can put it in your stories, whatever it is you like to do and help the podcast to grow because really it's the best way for this show to reach more people so I can get more guests and do more episodes and so on. It is really invaluable. And if you want to go ahead and leave me a lovely five-star review as well on your favorite podcatcher, then, well, who am I to stop you? But sincerely, if you do that, I would absolutely love it. And I would love to give you a thank you on the next episode. So if you have done so, please reach out to me because I'd love to give you the praise that you deserve. And finally, 
There is a couple of key ways to support the podcast financially. If you have the means to do so and you'd like to, then by all means, head over to TeePublic and Redbubble. They are the merchandise stores for this particular podcast. And you can head over to the coffee support page, which allows you to donate directly to me to help me with the ongoing costs for running the show. That just about does it from me. I'll be back next week with a returning guest on a truly diverse and fascinating franchise. It's one that's basically managed to find its way into all kinds of different genres and eras and in a very, very short space of time. So make sure that you're here for that. Until then, have a great week. Go and check out Sequelizers podcast. Go and watch The West Wing. And I'll see you all back here for a brand new episode next week. <laughs>